Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Now, today to end this series, uh, we are going to conclude with what I think is like the, the relational web that supports the other nine vision targets. This will be our sixth target that we've covered in the series. Um, and it is of vital importance, but it is incredibly difficult. Here it is. Okay, we want to ensure that every person in our church, every person that calls this their church home, everyone, can name their pastor and their friends within the church. Incredibly difficult. So hard for a big church. Like there are advantages of being part of a big church. Great advantages. Like, I don't know, on a Sunday afternoon, we can pack 1,200 boxes. There are also challenges. One of the challenges is making big church small. it, It just always will be. It's very easy to remain anonymous in a room with lots of people. But this is what we want. We want everybody to be able to name their pastor and their friends within the church. Five years from now, we hope that you say, I have a pastor who knows me and loves me, and I have some of my closest relationships in the church. We want thick community. Thick community. That's what we're after. And it's beautiful. It's, if you've ever experienced, uh, experienced it, you know it's beautiful. It is so necessary, by the way, coming off of a season of like social distancing and loneliness and isolation. But again, to be honest, this may be the single most challenging vision target that we have. Because here's the trick. Everyone wants to have thick community, but nobody wants to build it, right? Everyone wants a group of like-minded friends. Everyone wants a group that they can depend on when life gets sideways. Everyone wants a squad. You know, like... It's quasi-spiritual squad. So like at the first part of your meeting, you can study Jeremiah together and pray. But then the last part, you can like sit bourbon and yell at the game on TV. Like that's what you want. You want this quasi-spiritual bro group. Want it. You want real housewives of Louisville plus the Holy Spirit. Want it, right? That's what you want. But how bad do you want it? Here's what some of you want. Some of you want to go to a group that looks like this. Here it is. Organic authentic, woodsy, you know? The church isn't a place, it's a people, pastor. Okay, yeah, get it. So here we are with our fire and our coffee and our guitars dressed in earth tones. You know, just a bunch of average, super attractive people ready to receive God. That's what we want. Speaking from the heart, sharing our dreams and our sins and also sharing our favorite craft beers. Singing amen over and over and over an eight-part harmony. Okay, look, here's the deal. The problem isn't that these environments don't exist because they actually do. In fact, the Bible casts a more compelling vision of community than even that. The problem is that thick community 
is the culmination of an enormous amount of sacrificing self and inconveniencing self and tolerating those same campfire people as they grind you down with their life quirks. It's having your church disappoint you sometimes. It's listening to your preacher when he throws down a bad sermon, maybe today. It's allowing your pastor to step on your toes every once in a while and hold you accountable, even though you never asked for it. It's taken all that community comes with on the chin and most people aren't willing to do it. That's why most people don't have it. So there's this meme that's been circulating around the internet like forever, um, but it's good. Um, it says, uh, in essence, do you know what Jesus' greatest miracle was? His greatest miracle? Okay, next slide here. Um, having 12 adult friends in his 30s. Right? And <laughs> yeah, we laugh, right? But you're a follower of Jesus, so why don't you have it? Now, Bonhoeffer has an answer for us. He always does. Uh, gives us some perspective here when he wrote his book, Life Together. If you've got your Tyler Sermon bingo card, you can mark off Bonhoeffer now. Um, <laughs> as, as a reminder, Bonhoeffer's like training pastors to resist the Reich. 30s, 40s, this is when Bonhoeffer uh, was ministering. Basically, the National Lutheran Church had become complicit with the Reich, and so Bonhoeffer was a part of the Confessing Church. They resisted. He built this little group of seminarians who went underground in this German town called Finkenwald, and they lived life together, and he trained them to resist. And so his book, Life Together, is basically just his notes, theological notes, on how to build rich, thick community under pressure. And in the book, this is what he suggests is the greatest danger to Christian community. Check this out, the greatest danger. He says, Christian community is most often threatened from the very outset by the greatest danger, the danger of confusing Christian community with some wishful image of pious community. He goes on, he says, a great disillusionment with others with Christians in general, and if we're fortunate, it's being a little cheeky there, with ourselves, is bound to overwhelm us. Because the church is full of sinners, right? And this is what he says next. This is so good. He says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the actual Christian community itself becomes destroyers of that community. Or translation, he says, when it comes to Christian community, raise your commitment and lower your expectations. Now he goes on to write that uh, all of us basically go through the same experience when it comes to Christian community. Like we go to a new church or small group, maybe we're a new convert or like we become you know, adults and we're out on our own for the first time connecting with the church. And we come into a new church, we have just astronomically high expectations of how amazing it's gonna be because we looked at the church's Instagram page. And it's amazing, right? They got like the Jesus lights. One of their worship leaders was wearing a worship hat, you know, like one of those brimmed worship hats, you know, and the room seemed full and there was this Jesus smoke too. And it's just, it's amazing, right? It's amazing. Church is lit. But then what happens is, uh, 
is you finally walk into the Christian community and you realize that the person running their Instagram account needs a raise because it's not that cool. Like they took the, pic, they took the picture from just the right angle so that the room looked full or they took the picture right behind the one person in the room that was raising their hands during worship, you know? And it turns out when you look around, start getting to know people, basically everyone is, well, normal. <gasps> There's like old people and young people. There's weird people and mean people. Lots of white people. Even though they took pictures of the black people and put them on social media, right? Like I'm just saying. And tick, tick, boom. Your wishful, wishful image of diverse, vibey, super awesome community explodes in your face and you realize that this community is full of sinners and ordinary people and inevitable heartbreak. So what do you do? Most people, they just bounce to another church with the same unrealistic hopes again and again and again. Know what Bonhoeffer says? Bonhoeffer says it's actually you though who's the problem. Christian community, you're the greatest danger. Mm. So look, we want it. We want thick community. Let me, let me read it again. We wanna ensure every person can name their pastor and their friends within the church. We want you to be able to say, I have a pastor who knows me and loves me. Um, I have some of my closest relationships in this church, but we're gonna need a group people with a totally different frame of mind if we're going to pull this off. Like we have people who, who choose selflessness over selfishness, who choose mercy over judgment, trust over suspicion, patience over anxiety. And I'm not just talking about the pastors here. I mean like we, we have to choose that. We have to be willing. We have to be willing to reject passivity, to sacrifice and to submit to one another. Big point here. The idea of church is supernatural, but the people of the church are sinful. Reality. The idea of having a pastor is compelling, but placing yourself under their guidance is humbling. And the idea of love well, excites us, but practicing love costs us. That's the cost of community. Community is bought with a price. But man, is it worth it. If you've ever been in a low point where community has lifted you up, it's worth it. If you've ever been in a community that was just spiritually supercharged where you were holding each other accountable and pushing each other towards Jesus, man, is it worth it? If you can just get a taste of that new commandment, new testament, cross-shaped love, just a taste of it, you realize this is worth chasing after. Okay, so First um, John chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to First John 2. Who's got their paper Bibles? Thought I'd forget. Oh, look, looky here. Better market share than the previous weeks, all right? They didn't bring your paper Bible, shame your neighbor. I'm just kidding, don't shame, they might be new, don't shame them. It's hard to tell the difference between old and new here, it's a big church, okay? But um, bring your paper Bibles if you got them. You don't wanna know what the, you wanna know what the Bible hacks is? Okay, so before the 9 a.m. service was out in the lobby and a couple that I know from church came walking in and they had some old Bibles. Like the covers were scratched off. The papers looked like people had spilt coffee after mounds of hours of study. Like there was highlights and writing on the inside. And I'm like, man, you guys know the word, right? Because look at their Bible. So you want people, you want to fool people into thinking you know the word? Get your grandparents' Bible. It's the, chip, it's the trick. That's the trick. First John 2, 
Uh, we're starting in verse 7, reading through 14. 7 through 14. Uh, John writes this about new commandment community. He says, dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. The time John's writing this, this is like 60 years after. Jesus drops the new commandment on the disciples at the Last Supper. So it's, this new commandment's now become the old commandment, the normal commandment, just the commandment, right? This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. And check this out. He says, you also are living it. Okay, so what does that look like in the context of a church? Well, he says, well, here's how you know. For, because the darkness is disappearing. And the true light is already shining. He clarifies, he says, if anyone claims, I am living in the light but then hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Oof. Harsh words for the destroyers of community, eh? Verse 12, he goes on, he says, I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. What a unifying truth. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's words lives in your heart and you have won your battle with the evil one. The word of the Lord. Mm. Thanks be to God for all his word. Now what a vision of new commandment community quick recap here. This is what new commandment community looks like. It looks like living in Christ's love, illuminating every dark space with light, aggressively abolishing hate in the community, refusing to be one another's stumbling blocks, identities just grounded in forgiveness, the mature communing with Christ after years upon years of walking with him. The young waging war over the evil one. Like you can see them growing into Christ and out of the old life. It's a culture of strength, a culture of intimacy, a culture of victory. Hearts hospitable to and abounding in God's word. This is what love can do in a community. The beauty of it. Now, to be clear though, to be clear, this brand of love is not sexual or romantic. This brand of new commandment love is not like the warm, fuzzy feeling you get when somebody's super complimentary at small group. This brand of love is not how cool you feel when somehow you get into a group of people who are like a little richer or a little more funny, you know, or a little more attractive or a little more famous than you are, which is what most of us want in a community, right? We just wanna be in a community that's a little bit better than us to pull us up the social hierarchy, but that's not love. Right? Love's not clicking with them. Oh, honey, we clicked with them. Usually it's like a wife-to-wife -wife click or a husband-to-husband click, but this time it was a double click. The 
double click. And they like dogs. Let's have a friend's giving, right? Like, come on. That's, that's what we want. It's not love. It's, not, it's nice. It's not bad. It's not love. That's not the strongest indicator of it. The strength of the love in a community, I believe, can actually be measured by two cross-shaped questions. Here they are. One, how much am I willing to tolerate from the group? And two, how much am I willing to sacrifice for the group? And Jesus tolerated and sacrificed a lot, didn't he? Now, in my uh, best experience, the four, I had three, okay, but I added a fourth one just this morning before the service just came to me, okay? The, the four best examples of thick community are as follows. Number four, honorable mention, not on the slide, your gym bros. Anybody? CrossFit, Iron Tribe, Orange Theory, Burn Boot Camp Girl, come on, right? Anybody? Tell you, man, it's nothing like swinging some barbells around, sweating it out, shirtless with strangers, working to cut that last percentage of body fat, sharing protein, spot me, bro, like community right there. What do they say at Orange Theory? Spot me, bro, what do they say? Can you carry my kettlebell, girl? What is it? Okay, anyways, number, that's number four, honorable mention, number four. Number three, fandom, fandom. BBN, baby, Big Blue Nation, I card so hard, right, you know? Like the amount of emotional investment people have for a bunch of 19-year-olds playing a game, stunning, right? And I'm in, I'm all in, I'm just saying, I'm there too, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like go to a cards game, by the way, and you'll be singing and like sharing all sorts of uncomfortable personal space with total strangers, Hey, bro, the 19-year-old scored a touchdown. Let's touch chests now. Like, that is strange. Ain't nobody touching my chest. I'm just saying, like, but it's strange. People have an emotional investment in their sports teams that the church could only dream of. Like, if I do a sermon on how racism is a sin, people leave the church, but then their favorite team writes it on the back of their helmet and... Hmm. It's whatever, you know. We're willing to tolerate all sorts of stuff. You will tolerate years of failure. Exhibit A. Uh, this is a picture of me raising my son as a Reds fan. <laughs> Why would I do that? I love this child. But here he is, him and Gapper, eating it up. I've been a Reds fan for 36 years. I know the pain, okay? Last time they won a championship was 1990, and I try to pretend with Palmer like I remember it, but I don't. So why do we stick with them? Thick community, right? Thick community. Number two, childhood friendships. Just went back to my hometown um, a few weeks ago to visit my best friend from high school. He was the best man in my wedding. His name's Dutch. He was getting married. Um, and I'd say, me, Dutch and I have not had a significant conversation in 10 years, probably. It's not because we don't love each other, it's just life's led us into different directions. But we came back together and boom, it was like yesterday. You got friends like that, you just pick up right where you left off, hasn't skipped a beat. He could literally call me after the service is over with and be like, dude, I'm, I'm so sorry, but I killed a guy, you know? And I'd be like, let's hide the body, man. I got you. I'm a preacher, but you know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. I wouldn't say, but like, it's that, it's that thickness that you get from just hours of life spent together. Now, the thickest of them all though, you know where I'm going with this is family. 
Like this is the thicket, at least for, for most of us. If you were raised like me, you take care of your own. There's God, then there's family. We may heckle each other, but don't you, and you better watch it, right? Like only I talk to my sister like that. You don't have to be guarded with family, totally authentic. Last 10% of the worst of you, last 10% of the best of you. I want you to think, Thanksgiving and Christmas is just around the corner. Think about what you're going to tolerate. Think about what you're gonna drive six hours to tolerate. And you would sacrifice everything for these people, right? Stick, stick. Now, interestingly enough, family is one of the dominant metaphors in scripture for the church. Look at all the family language. God is father, Jesus is the son. We are all adopted brothers and sisters into the family of God in Christ. Ephesians chapter two, verse 19, Paul says, so now you Gentiles, and by the way, this was one of Paul's biggest challenges, just to get the Jews and the Gentiles in Christ to eat together to worship together. Can y'all just drop it and be one family? He's like, so now you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. You're citizens. Along with all of God's holy people, you are members of God's family. Together, we're his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Now, uh, some of y'all grew up in churches where you called each other, brother, Sister, brother Tyler, sister Lindsay, Baptist. I'm just saying like that you did. <laughs> so I guess that begs the question today, brother, sister. How much are you willing to tolerate here from them? How much are you willing to sacrifice here for them. Now go ahead and tell you, some of them are Democrats. <laughs> some of them voted for Trump. What are you going to do? This is what Jesus says, Matthew 12, 48. Jesus says, who's my brother? Who's my mother? Then he pointed to his disciples and he said, them, them. These are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Wow. Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 2, 5. It's a challenge for you. He says, you must have that attitude. You must have the same attitude attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself even further in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. We are to have that attitude. That one. And the key here, by the way, is the giving up of privilege, right? The humbling of self, the emptying of self that we see here in Christ. Like, so here's Jesus, by the way, hanging on a cross. And as far as we know, his experience up until, I don't know, being born a man 
was pretty divine, if you will. Like what did Jesus experience before being born? Before his human life? Think about it. Well, uh, you know, he was relishing in the eternal love of the triune God community. Sounds nice. He was creating the universe in all of its artistry and majesty. Sounds fun, super fun. Uh, He was soaking, soaking an angelic chorus, praising his glory. And that's just Monday for him, right? But then all of a sudden he's like, but you know, my people need me. Scene change. And he's born to a poor teenager of a conquered people in a backwoods village of a rural region in a pre-modern empire. And for the first 30 years of his life, he lives a pretty unimpressive life. We don't hear much of anything from him. Then finally he starts his ministry and during his ministry, he does some incredible things, but he lives without privilege, without pomp, without circumstance. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head, he said. Jesus was at, a, he was at home. He had to borrow someone else's fishing boat. He had to borrow money from the women in his group. He had to borrow someone else's donkey, borrow someone else's upper room. He had to borrow someone else's tomb. From throne room to teenage womb, majesty to manger, from the giver of life to giving his life for all of us. That's the level of sacrifice. And Paul looks at you and me and he says, church, you must have that same attitude the attitude of Christ Jesus. Uh, So uh, Palmer and I have been reading through this devotional book for several months now. Mm. It's a Devo book called Indescribable. It's a good one. Some of you probably already have it. You can do the devotions in under five minutes. And what we like about it is that um, it takes fun facts about God's creation and then just ties them back to God or, or to Jesus. Very fun. Now, in one of the devotions we read recently, it talked about a planet that was discovered in the early 2000s called 55 Cancri E. 55, like the number, then the word C-A-N-C-R-I, Cancri, Cancri, and then E, the letter E, okay? Now, here's a picture of it. Yes, NASA needs some branding help, but I'm explaining why this, uh, this, this planet, this is like not an actual picture, like some model of it, but um, this is what makes this so special. Uh, what we found is that this planet, rather than being covered with like soil, like the earth, is covered in diamonds and graphite, whole planet. It's basically a bedazzled planet. <laughs> Scientists estimate that one third of the planet's mass is diamonds, which means there is 26.9 nonillion dollars worth of diamonds they estimate on the planet. That's a nonillion, by the way. 269 with 29 zeros after it. Too bad the planet's 40 light years away. Now, this is the sort of work, by the way, that Jesus was involved in before we ate the fruit. Good times, creating old 55 Cancri E. Scientists say that every point zero 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 two seconds, there's another star that's born. And there are hundreds upon billions of stars out there. Psalm 147 says, 
that God counts the stars and calls them by name. Star counter, star namer. This is what Jesus did for the first half of his career. He's the one who apart from his self-emptying love could just as easily be making a diamond planet or spinning off a hundred billion stars and calling them by name. And yet he emptied himself for us. And so this means we must empty ourselves for one another. Now, uh, as a big church, again, it's just, it's gonna be more difficult to create community. So we have built uh, a systematic way, we call it our spiritual formation funnel to help you navigate the path. It's not perfect because the people involved are not perfect, pastors and congregants included, right? Uh, but it's important for us to give you something intentional and to help cultivate intimacy here. So this is what we call our spiritual formation funnel. Check it out. And this is how people usually move through our, our church. First, like you, you run into a friend or maybe you run into us online and you get invited to a weekend service. Then you show up in one of our weekend environments and you get invited to Northeast Basics, which is kind of our orientation class for people to figure out what our church is about and how to take next steps. And after that, we kind of funnel you into either a serve team. Serve teams are good because not only do you serve the community, but you get directly connected to a staff pastor. Or we funnel you into a community group of some sort. Community groups are good because you start reading the word, praying, rubbing shoulders, making friends with lay people. And you get to meet some of our lay leaders who lead our small groups, who are some of the best leaders in the city of Louisville. Then after that, if you want it, we've recently built the last, last two years or so, a mentorship program that we're taking people through. And this is an intense year-long commitment with a handful of other men or a handful of other women where you build ministry plans and a life together. Now, uh, I wanna highlight basics real quick because we've got a lot of new people in our church. So we've been running basics for about five, five months now. It's five or six, it started in May. So we run it every month. Um, the only month we're gonna take off is December. And I just wanna, I wanna highlight that for you a second because we've had over 175 people sign up for it. A lot of new people, right? A lot, a lot of new people. It's crazy. The number one demographic and number two demographic for it are 30-somethings and 20-somethings. So a lot, of, a lot of young new people in our church. It's fantastic. We're, we're excited about that. We're glad they want to be engaged in the life of our church, right? Um, I, 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 if, you've, if you're new here, if you're wondering how to engage here, this has got to be your next step. So it's a four-week environment. The first three weeks give you a different sort of slice of what our church is about and what we expect of people who call this their church home. And then the fourth week is a cool behind-the-scenes tour. For real. Like, you ever wondered what's behind the curtain? It's a wizard. No, it's like, I, it's, it's, you get to see behind the curtain. You ever wonder what's going on in our kids' environment? We'll show you what's going on. You want to see Melinda's desk? We'll show you Melinda's desk. You can sit in her chair, all right? Do whatever you want, right? Like, I'm serious. Like, we should see around the place. And our hope, this is not, we don't hide this. Our not-so-secret hope is after that four-week environment, you will take a step in either a serve team or into a group so that you can begin to experience community here and off to the races we go. Now, here's the reality. We've been running this since May and most people don't finish the four weeks. I don't think it's because the environment's bad. It's a good environment. I just think it's hard for people to do four weeks in a row. People are very busy. 
So we run it every month. And the reason why we run it on every month is like if you miss week two in October, you can come back in November and catch week two. November 6th is our last round of basics for the year, by the way. So go and sign up for it. But I am encouraging you, like make this your November resolution to either finish basics for those of you who have started or to get through basics because it'll help you connect deeper into our community. November 6th. All right, uh, let me close with this. <clears throat> we have to tell a better story in our church community than our community. We have to. We have a better story. So we have to start telling a better story than our, than our city. Okay. It's Derby City, y'all. Come have a mint julep and bet the ponies. Culinary excellence, bourbon tours. Come walk around this distillery and take all the influencer photos you'll ever need, right? Like that's, that's the mindset. Southern cosmopolitan, that's Louisville. Now you need to understand, I love Louisville, by the way. Love this place. This is our home. I'm going nowhere. But you want to know the truth? The truth behind the story? When it comes to community, this community is bankrupt. Oh, it's bankrupt. We're too spread out, spread thin, self-absorbed, and divided. There's wealth divides. There's the Ninth Street divide. There's political divides. So the reason why we gather together each week is to show the world that there's a better story, that Jesus has something more to offer, that this community can be good, truly good. I met a missionary once, by the way. Uh, I'm gonna keep his identity anonymous. We'll call him Alvin, okay? And uh, he's a missionary in a very dangerous part of the world. I mean, actually went there on purpose knowing that Christians are persecuted there, um, but he felt called by God learned the language, started serving the community's needs, just loving on people in really practical ways. And wouldn't you know it, people asked him why, and he got to share about Jesus. And, and wouldn't you know it, some of those people believed in this Jesus. And so he started discipling some of the people who he had converted to Christ and teaching them how to meet needs and love others and share Jesus. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, things got really, really dangerous where he was at. He was under the threat of his life. So his sending organization uh, called him up and said, you're coming home now. We gotta get you out of there. And he resisted. Oh, he came home, but he came home kicking and screaming. And ever since he's been begging to go back. Like he feels the legitimacy of his ministry is on the line. He says, these people I'm, I'm ministering to are used to others leaving. When their neighbors get the education or the resources, they leave. When missionaries or, or, or NGOs face even the slightest bit of danger, they leave. And so the message to the community is loud and clear. You're not worthy of, of our time, much less our lives. We're just gonna leave. And Alvin said, someone has to stay though. Someone has to stay. For churches to grow and develop, someone has to choose to stay and choose to serve. And so he is banging on the proverbial door of his sending company, begging to go back. Let me go back. My flock needs me. 
Yes, I may be martyred. No, it's not safe. But since when is safety a kingdom virtue? It's not. Sacrifice is. Comfort is not. Suffering is. Fear is not. Courage is. I have been reading a lot of saint stories over the last couple years. Share this with you. Most of these saint stories end in martyrdom. They can be gut-wrenching, but also inspiring. Here's what I've learned. This is one of the key insights I've learned from reading so much about the saints before us. Um, The thickest communities in the history of the planet Earth are persecuted Christians. Thick, man. I can tell you right now, if we were stripped of all the luxuries and comforts of Western culture, and we were put into a context where believing in Jesus was dangerous, most of the things you call problems right now would disappear. Most of the things that annoy you about church, like make you shout on social media or roll your eyes at the people in your small group, they wouldn't matter anymore. If we could strip away all the affluence, you know what we'd be left with? The beauty of the household of God, brothers and sisters willing to suffer together. Or you would just deny your faith and hold on to your comfort and luxury. Up to you. Now, here's the challenge you and I face. The challenge we are faced with is to build this sort of sacrificing, suffering community voluntarily. In a culture where church is casual and everybody's a radical individualist. That's hard. But like, we don't even have to give up all that much, right? Just a little. All you gotta do is give a little. You don't have to give up your rights, although some have to around the world. You don't have to give up your house or live as a secondary citizen or go to bed at night worrying the secret police are gonna kick down your door and make you disappear, no. Like at worst, some people are gonna say some not nice stuff about you on Facebook, big deal. So all we have to do is create some space in our schedules and in our hearts for deep relationship and the Holy Spirit will do the rest, but it costs. And on that note, let me, let me bring this, this whole series to a close. This is the last word. The last word for every one of our vision targets, the last word for this one especially. Let us make no mistake, the only way this will be possible, the only way we can come together, the only way our hearts will have the reservoir of grace to tolerate each other or the, our wills will have the energy to sacrifice for the sake of one another, the only way is by the power of Jesus, Period can't white knuckle this one people are too sinful we need new wills new hearts new identities we need union the unbreakable union the eternal union that we find in Jesus Christ and the power that comes with it do you know him do you have it look you know one of the most popular verses for evangelistic like go and do churches like us is the great commission You've probably heard this before. The Great Commission is in Matthew chapter 28. Last verses of Matthew's gospel. What does he say? Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the triune God and teaching them everything I've commanded you. Surely I'll be with you always till the end of the age. Boom, Jesus out, right? Powerful passage. Great way to end the gospel. But did you know that's not how Luke ends his gospel? Do you know how Luke ends his gospel? Not with an activist commission, but a gracious blessing. And oh, it's the perfect foil and the perfect countermeasure 
for a go and do church like us that sometimes just needs to be and belong in Christ together. Luke 24, verse 50 through 52, last verses of Luke. It says, then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. He blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy and they spent all of their time in the temple praising God, but that was it. According to Luke, the last vision of the disciples of Jesus was his outstretched arms blessing him. That's how he wanted to be remembered. The last words they heard from the Savior were his sustaining words of blessing. Contemplate this, okay? Before they built the church, before they brought Jew and Gentile together around the same table, before they gave everything, many of them facing martyrdom with courage and faithfulness, Jesus blessed them. Before you go and do a thing, he said, you have my favor. This is what unites you. In the same way, before you and I build this church, before we sacrifice what we have, we need to hear Jesus speak his deep blessing over all of us. Some of you need it so desperately today. So to close this series, we wanna do just that. We wanna sing a song of blessing, God's blessing over you. It's straight from scripture. It's his blessing and his grace and his favor that has brought us here today after all, amen. It's his blessing, his grace, his favor that keeps us sane today, amen. And it's his blessing, it's his grace, it's his favor that can ultimately bring us together. It's the only thing that can bring us together. So as we sing these words today, I want you to open your hands and just receive this blessing. And when you're comfortable, I want you to extend your hands and give this blessing to those around you. Jesus is why. Let's receive his heart today. Will you stand?